Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, folks. Today's episode is on our favorite topic. I know it's mine, and I know it's a lot of yours. We're talking about peptides. And today, we're talking about peptides with a new guest, new to the show anyway. His name is Dr. Edwin Lee, and he is by no means new to peptides. He is actually the co-founder of the Clinical Peptide Society. He practices uh, medicine in Orlando, Florida, and he also educates on peptides, whether it's through his own society or through other symposiums and at universities and all over the place. Dr. Lee is everywhere and he is a wealth of information. In this episode, we talk about an as of yet unpublished study clinical trial that he conducted on his own patients uh, using BPC-157 to help to resolve knee pain for a small group of his patients. And the results were really quite amazing. Uh, the other topic, in addition to many other peptide topics that we talk about is how peptides are really coming under a lot of pressure uh, from regulatory bodies, particularly in the US. And Dr. Lee is so passionate about peptides that he has started a couple of initiatives to try and help people to have their voices heard to work on basically saving peptides. And so you can actually go to savepeptides.org and sign a petition there. And there will also be other links in the show notes about other ways that you can have your voice heard. You can either submit a written testimonial or a video testimonial, anything to try and help to convince these regulatory guys that peptides need to be here to stay and they remain, need to remain accessible to people Um so that they can be used to optimize their health and frankly, for a lot of healing issues, right? So um, remember that this, everything in this episode is, and every other episode is all for information purposes only. We do not treat, diagnose, or otherwise address any kind of disease before you take it into your own hands to do such a thing or use any of the information in the episodes. Please make sure that you check with your medical professional and make sure that this is all right for you. If you're looking to contact me, you can find me at natnidham.com. That's my website. Oh, wait, first... How rude. I gave you my info before Dr. Lee's. Uh, to contact Dr. Lee, you would go to dredwinlee.com. And the other thing I forgot to mention is that he's written a great book called Peptides, the Fountain of Youth, um, which you can get through his website at dredwinlee.com. So back to where I was, you can connect with me through my website and also through my Facebook group, which is the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Facebook group, and also on Instagram, which is at Natalie Nidham. So keep it simple, but Natalie's got an H in it. So just um, look that up um, in the show notes and you'll see my name there. And uh, what else can I tell you? If you get value from this episode, please make sure that you leave us a review and that you share it with your friends and family, because this is how we get seen. So thank you so much for being here and enjoy the episode. Okay. Well, good evening and welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lee. It's such a pleasure to get you on the podcast because we've actually met already. Yes. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you in Orlando and, uh, also, um, you know, you're just full of energy and uh, 
it's great to find people that are interested in peptides and very passionate about um, health and wellness. Thank you. Well, you know, I think people finding people interested in peptides is actually not that hard these days. <laughs> Um, I've got about, I think, I think close to 9,200 of them in a Facebook group right now. So they're all waiting for this podcast to come out. So I think that, uh, I think you've got a, you've got an audience ready and waiting for you beyond the audience you already have. So Dr. Lee, should I call you Ed, Edwin or Dr. Lee or Iron Uh, Man? You can call me Edwin. That's fine. Edwin. Okay. So Edwin. Let's uh, let's start with your story because you're an endocrinologist, so you're trained in uh, you hormones. would think like in horm- no no in hormones, but in the allopathic model, as it were. And you've clearly, you know, kind of migrated out of a conventional model into a much more I don't even want to say functional, but just a, a more evolved model of medicine that is more preventative in nature. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give you a little. Uh little story about how I uh, got into where I'm at now. Um, I remember getting a lot of job interviews uh, for endocrinology. And I remember uh, my father, I was telling him that, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I have a job offer back in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where, you know, I grew up and that's where my parents were still at the same house that I grew up. And my dad goes, don't come back. Go someplace nice so we can visit in the winter. And I was like, really? So um, I, I interviewed the Southern California, the Sunshine Belt down to Florida, and uh, had a lot of job offers. And I found this place in uh, Central Florida called Winter Haven, Florida. And uh, I was the first endocrinologist in town and underserved area. The practice exploded. And uh, I soon realized that the whole system was broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just was, was putting band-aids on chronic problems. And then I went to uh, a meeting called AMMG, Age Man- Management Medicine Group, which I um, fell in love with. It was in Vegas at Red Rock. And uh, when I was listening to what they were doing, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel and said, wow, nutritional medicine, functional medicine, this is something really passionate. Um, so I told my wife, uh, I want to do this. And she goes, yeah, sure, let's, let's you know, go for it. And uh, so I did 10 years of conventional medicine and uh, eventually I switched and I got into uh, my own practice. And just like two weeks before I started, I moved to Orlando and I asked my wife, um, do you think I'll make it? Because number one, um, I'm not accepting any insurance. I'm not basically um, going to the hospital. Um, I'm not, uh, I don't know any doctors here. So I'm not, I'm not well connected here. I'm brand new. Um, so I used to be a big fish in a small town. Now I'm a, I'm a nobody in Orlando. And, and my wife said, I don't think you're gonna make it. What? <laughs> Come on. He said, no, you're not going to make it. So, oh, my God. <laughs> and she goes, well, I'm your wife. I have to, you know, tell you the truth. Oh, no. So, but thank God I had, for 10 years, I was in Winter Haven, Florida. So I had a lot of patients uh, who drove an extra hour to come to see me. And I took care of their um, 
endocrine issues and some wanted to do wellness. So they followed up with me. But uh, I remember this one patient really clear. She, uh, he was into uh, supplements and he was so excited. I was uh, you know, going into this field, but he was in, uh, in a different county. And I told him I'm going to Orlando. And he thought I said Africa. He never came back. So. He didn't? No. 40 minutes? Before. Come it's on. Like traffic. It's like, you know, so it's for some people, it's way too much. So uh, other people, 40 minutes is nothing. So um, I really changed because I went to a conference and I was really excited. And uh, this is really exciting now where I'm at because I, I'm getting to help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. People failed um, a lot, um, failed conventional. And I can't say, I'm not saying that I, I fix everything, but uh, I've helped a lot of people and it's a lot through, through wellness, but also I think adding the peptides and also reducing senescence and combination all helps. So uh, to, to me, that model really is exciting. Yeah. And, so anyway. Well, and you found it exciting enough to, to write an amazing book, right? You wrote this book, which I read, you know, probably a couple of years ago called Peptides, the Fountain of Youth. And I remember when I found it, I was like, yeah, I don't know. But I read it and it's like. Do you have the book there, Michael? I don't it? because you sent it home with somebody else. <laughs> I don't have it yet, but um, I actually have the ebook. Oh, you have the ebook. Oh, you yeah. have the okay. So, for, okay, Francois. So, for those that FYI, if you like to get the uh, this book, just call my office. But uh, we can't ship to Canada because I've tried to ship to Canada, and it's like you need. I need to donate my kidney. So much paperwork. Really? Oh, it's for a just, book. For a book. Why? Was like, I had all these forms to fill out. It was no, like, no, no. Me. Just stick it in a bubble envelope and throw it in the mail. Nobody will know what's in there. Oh, no, no, the Canada? Oh, for the, the post office? No, you've got to fill out these forms. So it's like, <laughs> get the ebook. We so can I talk about that offline. Okay. Anyway, guys, you can either order it from Edwin's Edwin. office, which we'll talk about later, or you can, um, you can download it. It's a Kindle book. So you can get it, you can get it on Kindle. So, and it's a great book. And I was just telling you before we started recording that I think it's so great because you have this great writing style and you teach, or at least in this book, you communicate really through stories and people remember stories. Like, you know, there's a lot of, there's not a lot, but there's a few other books out there. They're very technical. They're a little bit dry. And it's really hard to kind of, for a lot of people to kind of connect with that information. And yet the way that you've written this book is it's just this beautiful little tour through peptide land and talking about different case studies and stories of people that you've been able to help. And I would say that one of the ones, there's a bunch that stick out, but one of the ones that sticks out to me really, and you were just telling me about her a minute ago, is this older lady who was, I guess she was brought to you. She was in her eighties and uh, you know, she, she was, was pretty much, in the wheelchair. she, she was, and, and cognitively she was starting to slide. Right. And so, I mean, do you want to talk about this a little bit? Because I just think it's such an incredible story of turning someone around who, if she hadn't met you, her outcome probably would have been really different. And she wouldn't be bouncing around with pom-poms right now. <laughs> yeah, she, she's one of my biggest cheerleaders. She lives in Pennsylvania. 
the other side of Pennsylvania, uh, near Pittsburgh. Uh, I grew up in near Philadelphia. But anyway, uh, she has a wonderful son-in-law that I see. And uh, he basically said, look, you got to take care of my mother-in-law, which is- I, Which is really impressive. It really is impressive. <laughs> Usually that, I don't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, she she basically was falling apart, and she uh, couldn't walk. Uh, she had this swollen knee. She uh, was failing conventional medicine, and she just her hormone was out of balance, and she just wanted uh, to basically get a great tune up. So I balanced her hormones, and then that first day, I injected. Um, actually, she goes, "Give me everything." So I gave her BPC plus stem cells. So, Interesting. Uh, so I actually, I got okay. You get the, you want the, you want the Cadillac version. I'll, I'll give you everything. Um, and I think I also gave exosomes at the same time too. So, uh, and she, within a week, she basically was like dancing, and she was up her attic, and she was now she just felt like she was she had her youth back. She had no Amazing. limitation to her knee. And she basically was holding, um, her uh, son-in-law says, you made a monster out of her now. <laughs> <laughs> so she's hosting these big dinner parties. So in a week? Like, a week? No, about, even about two or three weeks later. But yeah. I mean, each week she was getting better. So, so I would say about two or three weeks she was fully recovered. So for the audience, can you explain the difference between stem cells and exosomes? Like exosomes are the signaling molecules, right? They're... Yeah. So um, stem cells, uh, I'm sure everyone knows of that, but we, we usually get that from placenta-derived um, stem cells. So basically these are pluripotent cells that can turn into different parts of the, like, you know, if you need more cartilage, it'll turn into cartilage, or basically if, if you need your heart to basically beat stronger, it'll turn into heart muscles. So, um, so um, it can convert into different types of cells. Uh, exosomes are little tiny bubbles that communicate and actually this is how cells talk to one another. So if you have an injury like down on your uh, forearm, like your rest of the body will communicate and say, hey, um, you know, this forearm is in trouble. Let's, let's basically help it heal. So they talk through basically through these little messengers uh, called exosomes. Okay. And exosomes has actually genetic material. It, it has DNA, RNA, has, uh, has even peptides in it. Uh, so basically, it's, it's, they always thought this was like garbage. The, um, when it was first discovered, they thought it was the way cells were excreting trash out of their body, but they got it wrong. It's wow. the way cells wow. talk to And it recruits. Um, basically your own stem cells to come to help heal too. Mm -hmm. So exosomes has, uh, is we, net, we have exosomes throughout our entire body. We can, we, you know, if we spit, we can discover exosomes. So you pee, you know, there's exosomes there. So you really? know, exosomes, yeah, are, can be found in our blood. And uh, so exosomes are basically, every, every cell basically secretes these exosomes. Uh, but the younger, healthy cells like you know you get it from a placenta they have all these growth factors that they and all these great communicating skills to basically help your your body to heal much faster so you can use exosomes from someone older or you want something that's you know 
you know, just one day old. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So you're getting the stem cells and the exosomes from placental tissue. Yes. That's okay. from FDA approved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From cord, cord blood or placenta. From okay. And so the BPC-157, just out of curiosity, um, are there synergies? There's clearly, I'm going to guess, there's synergies of using BPC-157 with the stem cell in the exosome? Does the Because I know with BPC-157, for example, with growth hormone, it sensitizes those growth hormone receptors. Right. So um, is there an amplification of sorts that happens when you use all of these things together? I, honestly, um, in theory, yes, but no one has ever proved it. But uh, for okay. that, she really got better. I don't do a lot of this, you know, Cadillac stuff on a lot of people because it comes to cost. Yeah, and, it costs uh, a Cadillac. Most people, yeah. Well, people go, look, just I'll do the peptide. It's, it's affordable. Uh, just give me a shot of that. Um, you know, and I have a patient today, he emailed and I said, look, we'll get an MRI and you've tried two peptide injection. The knee still hasn't recovered. Let's see what you have. And maybe we'll do some stem cells and exosomes to help heal it. But let's see what you have first. Cause we're just making yeah. it. Yeah, I had someone come to me last week and she's, you know, she's getting these shooting pains in her hip and blah, blah, blah. And she wants to know, you know, what peptide should I use? And I said, first, you need to use the peptide called MRI. Like you need to go get, M you need to go get an imaging done. Well, you need to understand, right? Because if you've got degradation in a joint to the point of needing some kind of replacement or something, you're going to spend a lot of money that's going to go to nothing on peptides. Exactly. And, you know, hip pain could be from, you know, actually from your back. So yeah. So who knows exactly what's going on? So is it uh, sciatica that's, you know, thinking it's hip pain? So um, anyway, it, sometimes it's a little difficult to figure out exactly what it is. Okay. So now, but we happen to be talking about BPC. So actually, but going back to this lady, what I think at the time, and I've now learned a lot more about this, but at the time, I think what really struck me is that you actually helped to optimize this woman's hormones, even though she was in her eighties. Mm -hmm. And so often I think you talk to doctors and they're like, well, you know, if you haven't done hormone replacement therapy by then it's too late for anything. And I think that I've since spoken to a couple of doctors who say, well, it, it's a different approach than we might use with someone who's just become menopausal, but there's, it's never really too late to help somebody out with hormones. I just want to say that when, when you do store hormones in someone who's a little older, um, I, you go really slow. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's the key, slow and low dose. And, uh, you know, instead of using a dose of, let's say, um, estradiol of, let's say, 75 micrograms, uh, you know, I may start like at 12.5 so that the breast Super small. Yeah. yeah. And eventually 25 and then. Um, and I try not to go super high levels uh, on them. Um, and I listen to their body because they go, oh, mm -hmm. my breasts are sore. Uh, then, you know, take a couple of days off and uh, we'll basically, yeah. uh, you know, maybe cut back on the dose there too. Yeah. So um, everyone's different. And uh, so there, there's an art in hormone replacement, but uh, here we're talking about peptides. But yeah. Uh, um, anyway. Yeah. I, no, but listen, I mean, you know, people talk about this. They, they, if your hormones aren't optimized or at least reasonably balanced, the peptides can sometimes, depending on the situation, can only do so much. 
So exactly. they they definitely it's all part of this big puzzle that has to be addressed. And that's where physicians come in. And, you know, that's where as an endocrinologist, I think you have a real edge here because you have this deeper understanding of the hormonal landscape that once you get that in line, you once you start adding peptides into it, then things just things just happen differently. But, you know, I have another question that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you earlier, but I'm curious about your opinion on this. People ask about Kispeptin 10 quite often for for optimizing, for helping with testosterone levels. Have you found it to be useful in your practice with men? Um, actually, you know, it's funny. Um, with Kispeptin 10, um, I actually, I think I'm the one that kind of started this whole wave of Kispeptin 10. <laughs> Did then, you really? And then the wave had passed, and I really didn't catch it. I started that wave. And uh, I remember talking to Ryan Smith, and I said, hey, I discovered the Kispeptin. And he didn't even know about it. So we, I go, look, this Kispeptin 4, Kispeptin 10. And he, he got really excited. And so anyway, that's, that's how the whole story goes is because you know, I did a lot of research and I, and I discovered this. And so I didn't discover Kispeptin, someone else discovered it. But, but you could, yeah, but discovering a clinical. I, 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 I tried it and I wasn't really convinced um, on several patients. Uh, and uh, so I've, I've kind of uh, tried maybe three or four people. It's like, oh, it's just equivocal results. So, um, and I had also Clomid and HCG and, and Clomiphene. Mm-hmm. So I've, I, you know, they're, less expensive. And uh, anyway, it's just one of those things that um, I never really pursued it, but I've heard other people say, oh, I have great results. So uh, it's funny, I started the wave, but then. (laughs) But then you just kind of let it go. Well, I, you know, uh, a mutual friend of ours actually recently went back to Kispeptin. And the way that he used it was, he said, you know, in in the studies that he read, um, they had infused it over hours instead of just giving a bolus. And so he's he, using an insulin pump. Yeah. So he used it in an insulin pump and he found that it was rather impactful for him. <laughs> so maybe there's something there to get to. Maybe there's a there's a second wave coming that you might decide to get on. Uh, I, I actually, he's uh, encouraged me to uh, think about the insulin pump. And I, I've done tons of insulin pump. I was uh, in my diabetic. Uh, well, no kidding. Yeah. I was one of the top pump, insulin pump writers, and uh, so I'm very familiar on how to use it. Um, and now there, he, he says you can get like a, a cheaper version that's out there. So, um, so that's exciting because yeah, all the data is really infusions. So yeah, how like, you convert it to like daily sub Q shots? It's really confusing. Exactly. So, yeah, and I don't think I was dosing it right, so um, that's why I probably didn't see great results. Okay. Well, I feel a second wave coming. I actually have one of those pumps here. Not that I'd be really pumping Kispeptin personally, but <laughs> I think it would be of limited use to me. Okay. So that, that was, that was a nice little sidebar. So let's talk about a study that you recently published, right? On BPC-157 used intra-articularly in knees for knee pain. So you know, this is a question in my group that I get a lot. People, I mean, knee pain is one of these things that's pervasive, whether it's from overuse or athletic injuries, or I guess, I, I, you know, I remember learning in school that the knee is a tough joint, right? It's not particularly flexible. 
So do you want to talk a little bit about your results and what type of knee pain you were, you were addressing? Um, should I just do share screen and then I can. Uh, yeah, you have permission. So guys, if you're listening to this on, um, if you're just listening to this podcast, there will be a video of this on YouTube. Um, and, um, so you'll be able to see the slides that Dr. Lee is, uh, showing now. All right. Um, so do you see the slides there? Yep, I do. All right. Let me uh, do slideshow. Yep. Uh, and then that's all I'll see. I'm going to put on my glasses. All right. So I'm proud to say that, um, I was the first person to publish a uh, an article, uh, a study on BPC-157 in humans. It's, it basically, it's all been on animal studies and uh, phenomenal animal studies. I pity the uh, rats uh, that had to be in those experiments because uh, they've done, uh, I think, a lot of uh, cruel things. But anyway, yeah. uh, BPC-157, um, I was... I was approached by a friend and his um, son is um, in, he's a, now a senior in college and applying for medical school. And he wanted to basically hang out in my office and uh, his name's Blake and you can see his name on the, on the, his, uh, his author, co-author yeah. there. And uh, he kept pushing me and pushing me. He goes, come on, let's do a study. And it's like, oh, you know how much work it is? And it's really, I'm going to have to write the whole thing. And, <laughs> and But he was like, he wouldn't take no for an answer. He just says, come on. And I go, you know, I have this thing that I've done, and uh, maybe we'll just call the patients for follow-up, and you can call them up, see how they did, and then collect the data, and then we'll, we'll write the paper together. And, and so he was really happy. So um, the article's called Intro injection of uh, BPC-157 for multiple types of knee pain. So my practice, I have just a wellness practice, so it's not orthopedic. It's not like I have, um, you know, all ACL tears or all meniscus tears, um, but, you know, I have a wide range of osteoarthritis to, to several people had uh, different tears in their knees. Uh, so it was, a, this was a retrospective study. So it's a study that I did in my office. Um, and then later Blake, uh, Paget called uh, um, um, these patients to follow up. So we had 17 patients. Uh, generally, it was really year 2019 that I injected BPC-157. We had a couple in 2020, early 2020. And uh, we were only able to follow up 16 since one person moved and we couldn't follow up, uh, just lost, had, you know, couldn't approach by email or by phone. Uh, so the study was initially bpc uh, with Dymosin Beta 4. And uh, when I first did this study, uh, the first four patients actually got BPC with uh, Dymosin Beta 4, because this is kind of what I heard, like this is, if you're gonna treat uh, some um, pain, especially joint pain, use both. And um, the first one really got uh, really no improvement, but the other three did. And then I was thinking, you know, how are we going to know? Is it BPC or thymus? Right. So I said, you know, the next patients, the next series of patients, we'll just do BPC uh, by with and without thymus and beta four. And before that, before doing the BPC thymus and beta four, I was doing PRP with both these peptides. 
Right. Um, but then um, to do PRP in the office, uh, I need time and we need a centrifuge. And then uh, usually I don't do the centrifuge, but uh, I have uh, I have usually Jason or uh, my other staff, uh, Debbie, to do it. And when they're busy doing IV uh, nutrition, it's just like, it's just, there was a point where it's like, forget it. Forget the PRP. Let's do peptides. And that's how I evolved because of my staff. And uh, I was just curious, does it work? So, so the next 12 patients, I, we, they received only BPC, and 11 out of 12 improved. Wow. Uh, at a dose of four milligrams. Which, okay, uh, I have a question. questions for you. So was this one dose of four milligram once, or was this a protocol where you saw them on multiple days or multiple weeks? Like how did- It was, it was one shot. One wow. shot, and do you have a sense of what the what the damage was in each person? Yes, just one second. So uh, we had four people that had MRI for the yeah. peptide injections, um, and uh, patient one had a tear of the medial meniscus and sprain of the medial collateral ligament, and they received actually two patients in the TB form BPC had MRIs, so both of them improved. Uh, subject two had tear of the meniscus. Uh, and subject three and four were just BPC. So subject three had an anterior cruciate ligament and he was young. He's, he's actually uh, uh, like, he was under 20 years old. And uh, wow. I told his dad, don't do surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, I told him, actually, I, I knew uh, Lewis because he was on the cross country team and he was a senior when my son was a freshman. So we got to know each other. And then we swim together at the swimming pool together. And, and, I, and he came back. He was, was training in Arizona. And I said, why are you back? And he goes, uh, I can't run. I have a tear of my ACL. I said, what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to let her rest. And I go, um, have your dad call me. So I, his dad called. And I said, we have peptides. He goes, sign them up. So boom. So uh, anyway. Um, and then I had subject four basically had a pop of two uh, bursitis. And uh, so here's four different MRIs, but the average age, maybe it's the next slide here, um, was basically of the 16 patients, five stated that they had previously been diagnosed with osteoarthritis. So okay. this is by other physicians. The average age was 60. Wow. So, so you would, you would say osteoarthritis probably the presumptive diagnosis. For mm -hmm. most so nine were women, seven were men. And uh, there's that one young kid who basically had an ACL tear and uh, the oldest was 77. Uh, most of the injections were done in 2019. And uh, one patient had failed knee surgery for a torn meniscus six months prior to injection. Holy geez. So you totally changed this guy's life. So... Right. I'm going to let you keep going because I have a, I, it, the question is how long did the results last or do you answer that further on? Yes, I do have a uh, slide on that, but it's a little confusing because uh, Blake made it and I, I'm still <laughs> <laughs> So do, can you summarize instead of showing the slide, can you tell us like on average did. We, we, we would say that um, the average uh, some people were called like a year later and some people six months later, depending when they got in 2019, when Blake called. So I would say the average would last about six months. 
Really? Uh, from one yeah. injection? Definitely improvement. Yeah, one injection. Now, some people actually re-tore it or they re-injured it. They felt so good that they tweaked it. Right. So I have injected them um, later in life, you know, outside the study here. But the thing is, the people who did it, they only had one injection. And, That's amazing. Uh, 16 had improvement in knee pain. Um, one basically, I think, had hip issues and uh, basically had uh, eventually hip had minor surgery in the hip and the knee got better. So yeah. that's okay. You know, it could be something else. And another one is a, um, an Asian woman that I don't think anything will make her better. So she's Korean, like my, my background. So, um, you can't fix them. So <laughs> only, only you can say that. I'm just saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> cause it's your own <laughs> culture. <laughs> yeah. So they're very difficult to put it that way. Okay. So, so that's, I mean, that's really amazing that you have this wide range of issues and the BPC-157, so it addressed the pain. Would you say that it helped to regenerate tissue that, that well, it helped to repair it, it, the damage? That's a fantastic, uh, uh, insightful question. And in the paper, I said, you know, it'd be great if someone follows up with just all ACL tears and do the MRI before and later. And, you know, I'm not an orthopedic clinic and, uh, you know, MRIs are expensive. So some people don't want to pay out of pocket for that. So, but I would love to hook up with an orthopedic and, you know, say, hey, let's do the study and get MRIs to document if, you know, is the cartilage really healing. And yeah. that'd be a cool study, a simple study to do. And uh, I just don't know why. Other doctors who are into peptides, uh, that their orthopedic surgeons haven't published this or done a simple study like this because mm-hmm. I mean, all you have to do is uh, just look at ACL tears and meniscus tears or, you know, just, it just get an MRI before and after and see how fast they heal. Yeah. Um, I gave a presentation once, um, Natalie, to the... Um, traumatic brain injury group uh, through Dr. Mark Gordon, and uh, I was talking about neuroregenerative uh, peptides. And I was in that group. There was a retired colonel from the Air Force, and he was an orthopedic surgeon. And I was just kind of going offside about how great uh, BPC is and what I'm seeing in, in orthopedics. And he got so upset, he stood up and pointed his finger at me. He goes, "Damn you! You are going to ruin the orthopedic surgeons." You're going gonna- like- <laughs> to. I was like, oh my God. I was like, sorry. <laughs> was he serious or was he laughing? Yes, he was really serious. But it's like, look, you're, you've got to open your mind. And if orthopedic surgeons offer this, this would be phenomenal. So, you know, try this first before surgery. Yeah, I mean, I, sometimes they'll still they need go, surgery. Oh. And, yeah. and they go, I need a whole complete shoulder replacement. And I live by myself and no one's going to take care of me. I can't go uh, for a complete shoulder replacement surgery and you know i don't have nine months to recover so uh can we try peptides and i just saw a woman she fell she's in the mid 70s and she fell playing with her grandchild and she tripped on her carpet put her hand out to break the fall her her, basically she popped her shoulder and tore um, uh, basically three places in her shoulder and she basically uh, could not even put deodorant underneath her arm after her shoulder was popped in um, and she had very limited, mo- mo- uh, um, she could not go laterally out. Yeah. 
So she got frozen. She basically developed the form of frozen shoulders. No, she had, well, I wouldn't say frozen shoulders. She had that significant pain and uh, the tears in her shoulders. She couldn't move. Uh, she had a labrum tear, supraspinous tear. She had a subcapillaris tear. Oh, so, my God. Uh, so anyway, um, we did, I've done peptides on her every month, uh, three different areas, the glenohumeral joint. I basically can see the supraspinous tendon. Uh, and also the sub subcapillaris tendon. So with with the ultrasound guidance, I inject there, and uh, I just saw her like this week, full range of motion. Come she on, have, she can comb her hair, touch her hair. She, before she, each each month, it was getting better and better. So I did her five times. Yeah, every month, but she had severe tears, and I didn't use stem cells. This was just pure, uh, just BPC. That's amazing. And, but in that case, did she have imaging done beforehand to, to yes. define these? Ter- so you could theoretically maybe talk her in sweet talker into getting follow-up uh, imaging done yeah. to see the repair, because that can't just be pain management. That's gotta be repair of the tears. Yeah. So she, she did have physical therapy and that kind of gave her some exercise, but she had still had limited motion sure. and limited motion. And uh, so she, she was discharged from them. And then I told her, go back to physical therapy, just show, you know, your range of motion because this is uh, truly amazing. And this took about, uh, we did five injections, so one every month. So this was about month five, but it saved her from having shoulder replacement surgery. That's amazing. That's really yeah. spectacular. Okay, so what's this slide we're looking at? So basically the slide is summarizing yeah, that, 14 out of 16, uh, so 87.5% had improvement in knee pain. And it was it was just only by phone call. It was subjective. They, you know, say, hey, um, did you have improvement? Yes or no. And uh, and then we had some, some subjective questions like, did you have pain before, like with sleep? And are you able to sleep better? So I, I think about 60% said they are sleeping better because now they're knee, they're, they don't have the knee pain anymore. So anyway, so... Um, that, that's it for, for that, that slide there. So let me get off on the slides here. Okay. So here, I can kill the sharing. Yeah, you can kill the sharing. There we go. Great. Well, that's amazing. Congratulations. That's really exciting. And I think that, you know, what's more exciting is, as you've seen with this woman, is someone, you know, with some of these more severe injuries, to repeat that injection a number of times could definitely potentially lead to more long-term benefits, if not full healing, if for lack of a better word, at least in some of these people, depending on the actual injury. Yeah, I think that if someone's um, patient and they're willing to experiment, uh, this is, remember, not everything here is non-FDA approved, but uh, this is uh, wonderful stuff. And it's all natural, really. It, yeah. It comes from our stomach. Uh, fluid and uh, anyway um, you did point out something interesting like if you have mild knee pain yeah you can do sub-q injection and maybe that will help but if you have a tear yeah it'd be best to do intra-articular injection into that joint or into that tendon and versus steroid i mean the steroid will reduce inflammation but it's not going to fix any tears no no you got to use something to be regenerative and that's why I tell my patients, this is regenerative. It can 
you, you need something to help heal you. So. Yeah, this is an amazing peptide. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you know, sometimes I think people think of it, they, it's not the fanciest peptide. It's not the shiny new object as it were, but it's, it's this workhorse that has so many different applications from the brain to the gut, to musculoskeletal, to skin. Like there's, is there anything it doesn't touch, you know, like even wound, wound it healing? It doesn't do prostate. And, uh, oh, it doesn't do prostate. Okay, fine. So <laughs> it doesn't, or particularly it doesn't do much for the immune system. I haven't found any peptide for the prostate. So uh, that's, I'm, in, I'm, 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 I'm on the, I'm always on the lockout. Hey guys, I just want to interrupt this podcast very quickly to thank our sponsor today. And that is Oxford HealthSpan. Oxford HealthSpan makes primidine, which is by far the best spermidine supplement on the market. Spermidine is an amazing anti-aging supplement. It hits six of the nine hallmarks of aging. So it helps us to age better. And in some ways, it even helps to turn the clock back on certain processes of cellular aging. I highly encourage you to give it a try. It's great for sleep. It's good for your hair, skin, and nails, and a whole bunch of other amazing benefits. They've got some great, great information about the supplement and what it can do for you on their website, which is you can find at primadine.com. And if you decide you want to give it a chance for yourself, give it a try, then you're going to want to use promo code BIONAT1515, and that will get you 15% off your purchase. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. Have you looked at the bioregulators for prostate yet? No, I haven't. And I, I should. Um, so that's why. Yeah, I think that might be. Some, I mean, again, because you've got such an analytical mind and you're willing to kind of do the follow up, it would be. I mean, I think to your point, what we need are the doctors who are curious enough to say, well, let's see if this can help. And because you're a doctor and you're able to monitor people's metrics through blood and labs and all this other thing, you're you're in a position where you can keep an eye on things, make th make sure things aren't going sideways and at the same time, maybe find new solutions for people. Yes, or, uh, or not. I, I always have this little fear that the FDA will knock on my door and the medical boards will follow. And uh, I'm, anyway, hopefully it doesn't go that way. But my wife says she'll still love me if I go to jail. So. Well, because you proved her wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, just, just one time. <laughs> Plus the pom-pom lady will come out and bail you out. Like, I mean, you know, you've got a lot of fans out there, so I think you're probably going to be okay. But definitely it things, you know, we've seen that things can definitely get a little bit ugly. So before we move on, because um, I know that you've actually, this whole idea of peptides becoming harder for people to access has become a real passion of yours. And we're going to talk about that at the end of the podcast. But before we do that, we were going to talk about a couple of other topics because, again, you've got such this such a broad range of knowledge and experience in this, which just not that many people have all the clinical experience. And so one of the categories of peptides that a lot of people use and are curious about is this whole growth hormone secretagogue category. So the growth hormone secretagogues, the CJC, which is also mod GRF 1 to 29, the ipamorelins you know, they have this, this beautiful way of helping the body, helping to, to signal the body to make more of its own growth hormone, which is in many ways safer 
and better probably in some cases than using exogenous growth hormone, which will ultimately shut down your own production. But it's not, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about how you monitor your patients when they're using growth hormone secretagogues and are you using IGF-1 as this kind of proxy metric that can give you insight in terms of, you know, when it's time to lay off and back down and when it's time to keep pushing? Uh, yes. And you, since you've been talking about CJC with Morland, um, I forgot to order a peptide uh, for my patient. <laughs> I reminded <laughs> you. Oh, my God, we're out of stock. I texted my staff tomorrow, please order it. <laughs> um, yeah, it didn't come through the proper channels, so that's why I always forget. It's like, even though they're friends, it's like, just call the office or email us. Let's, it'll get done that way. Yeah, no kidding. You do, you do my people. I have people for, for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's all uh, about um, delegation. <laughs> so, um, so to answer your question, um, IGF-1 is the best way to uh, follow someone's response on the growth hormone secretagogues. And um, I know there are some numbers thrown out there, but uh, I don't think a lot of them are endocrinologists and seen basically acromegaly, which is a condition where you have too much growth hormone. Yeah. So I don't believe IGF-1 should be in the 300s because the higher IGF-1, you're basically, it's, um, they're, they're too much of anything is never good. Well, especially not in that world. <laughs> and um, the only downside with acromegalic is they die more of uh, basically cancer. Yeah. And it's, and it's colon cancer and then followed with heart disease. And in all the studies that's basically followed uh, patients with uh, acromegaly, they generally have a shorter lifespan there. So you have to, you have to be careful that you don't kind of cause hypertrophy of the heart and in addition, you, the colon is much larger in acromegalics and they have more polyps and all that. So the thing is that uh, um, you just have to, I think an ideal IGF-1 level is like, to me, it's like testosterone. It's like, how do you feel? Like, mm -hmm. I don't actually, I, there's some doctors go, they want a 1200 testosterone level. I'm never like that. Yeah, um, I always listen to how they feel. If they start at 150 and they feel like a million bucks at 300, I leave it that way. Because okay. FYI, the higher testosterone you use, actually, their prostate gets bigger, they're going to have more hair loss. It's, it's more, you know, they always complain later, four years later, I'm losing so much hair. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, you, you do one thing, but then there's a downside of something else there too. So if the IGF goes up, maybe about 30, 40 points, I'm happy with it. Um, so if they start like 100 and they go to 130, 140, that's fantastic. Uh, but you could do that with sleep and exercise. And sleep is critical because it's not the quantity, it's, not, it's quantity of sleep, quality of sleep, but one thing that we're not talking about, and that is how we sleep, and that is, are you a mouth breather? Yes. Very good, very or good point. Basically, uh, or you're basically a nose breather. And I'm a mouth breather. And when I grew up, my father slapped me right here. <laughs> oh my, God. My, my dad's hand there. And because uh, I was always breathing through my mouth. And um, he just thought I would look like an idiot, so he just slapped me. And so, but um, anyway, I wish he trained me at, uh, to breathe through my nose at nighttime. Mm -hmm. and, 
what's interesting is I use surgical tape and I just tape vertically down. And uh, a trick is I fold over each end so you have a tab just in case you have to cough or in the morning you, you can peel it off. And my REM sleep has dramatically rent, went up. It used yeah. to be four or five minutes before um, taping. Now it's over two hours. So if you can get your REM sleep up, everything gets restored. Your growth hormone will go up. Interesting. Interesting. Um, exercise, a lot of people are guilty. They're not doing enough. They know they should do it, but they're not doing it. But you can start with walking. But if you can get that heart rate up, your body needs to be stressed. It's actually good for the sirtuin genes and all that for your uh, DNA repair. So we, we do need to do some um, cardio and get that uh, need to sweat a little so that's that's i have an addiction to too much exercise yeah so, you're uh, you're well you can talk about that a little bit right so you're doing you're doing uh, let, let, let's talk about, let me talk about the okay, okay okay at okay. the end we'll talk about your athletic prowess uh, well, so so the thing is that um uh with using cjc sometimes um i, I have my patients switch to testimonial because they go well do you have something else because I tried CJC. I, I just don't see the effect. So Tesla Morlin is probably the best one out of, out of all the secretagogues there. But uh, Tesla Morlin, uh, I use one milligram. And even with CJC, I only do five nights a week. I don't want yeah. to burn the pituitary gland. So the, and the key point, if you use any growth hormone secretagogue, five nights a week, uh, if you use seven days a week, eventually the pituitary will burn out. And uh, they're not going to get any response at all. So, so Tessa Morellin as well, five days on, two days off. Yeah, and although the studies that they did, um, they did short-term studies, you know, at Harvard. They did it seven nights a week, but they only did it for like three weeks, and then they stopped. Yeah, so that's short. Yeah. So the thing is that um, I, I truly, I've seen people, you know, with using Clomid high dose every day, and then they they go, they they felt great, and then they go, and then they crash. And it's like, boom, it doesn't work anymore. So the thing is, you got to be careful there. So um, so the bottom line is you got to be careful on how high the IGF-1 is. And, you know, if they're going like, you know, close to 300, I would back down a little. Uh, there's always the back of my mind a concern of uh, basically the left ventricular hypertrophy or cardiomyopathy and in addition, you can have also issues with increasing uh, tumor growth and all that. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't know what the magic uh, IGF-1 level is. With uh, There was a study um, done um, that was uh, just published, and it was really regeneration of the thymus gland. So they used DHEA, metformin, and human growth hormone. And uh, I actually was in communication by email, and uh, the lead author... I was emailing from UCLA and surprisingly he emailed me back. And it's like, oh my God. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, if I try to call before getting married, if I try to call a girl, no girl ever called me back. So <laughs> sent out an email. I was like, oh my God, someone responded quickly. <laughs> How exciting. <laughs> so I just did some simple questions. And then later, my biggest question was like, how high of the IGF one did you get? Because they did MRI before. And after you could see that the, the the fat was replaced with normal thymic tissue. Wow! And their blood work improved there too, so it showed that their immune system was getting healthy. So I go, "What is IGF one?" And he goes, "It's uh, propriety. We're not going to release that information." 
What does that mean? Like, what's the point of doing research if you're not going to share the, the results? So they use DHEA, growth hormone, and metformin. Yes. Yeah, because growth, growth hormone, there's a concern of diabetes, uh, insulin resistance, yeah. metformin, and uh, DHEA and metformin has nothing to do with the thymus gland. And so they basically thought, uh, uh, you know, DHEA, you know, is, and metformin and growth hormone. I, I don't know if you need all three, but it's interesting that thymus actually rejuvenated with using it. But what is IGF-1? I don't know. I asked, didn't get the answer. They are doing part two of the study. They're having more people in the study. I think the first one was nine people. They're, they're recruit. I think they're still in recruitment, but it's only men. They haven't. I think part two. They're not looking at women, just men. I'm not quite sure why they don't, they don't look at men and women. But anyway. classic, classic. As a woman, I can just tell you that's classic. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not. I'm not the investor. We're not. We're not gonna. We're not gonna go there. So anyway. So net net for you when you when you're using these growth hormone secretagogues, you're gonna look at somebody's IGF one numbers. If you can see a bump of thirty to forty points, and they start to feel better, their recovery gets better, their sleep improves. You're you're pretty. You're not gonna sit there and push them up, and definitely you want to see it sub three hundred because. You know, that seems to be a threshold where I'm, things start I'm to happy, I'm happy one, high 100s, low 200s. I'm really happy. I, I rarely have anyone 250. Um, and uh, I mean, I do have several acromegalics and they, they, they're diagnosed. They're based on IGF-1 was like 500. Wow. So, uh, yeah, you don't want to go there. Um, uh, no, but that's a really interesting perspective coming from an endocrinologist. Like this is your, this is your field. This yeah. is, this I, is I do all side, you know, growth hormone deficiency and too much growth hormone acromegaly. So, and yeah. also, I find don't people get uh, like joint pain when the growth hormone's yeah. too high? They get crazy joint pain. They get swelling. They kind of get. And, and sometimes I say take a take a break off. I have a young kid on growth hormone, and we bumped up the dose, and he cannot play football. He just has to be out of the third, fourth quarter, and it kills him. And I said, just let's just get a week off and. And back down and see what happens. Yeah. Because you don't know until you try it. Um, okay. So I, the pain goes away, it's basically too much. Yeah, yeah. So I have a question for you. And I've asked this of a couple of people. Nobody's had a good answer for me. Have you seen people whose immune system does not like the growth hormone secretagogues? Uh, I have a person uh, many, many years ago. I think this goes back to 20 years ago. I actually uh, saw a physician with a low CD4 count. Uh, not associated with, with AIDS, but just um, he's a pediatrician, was getting sick all the time. He goes, I can't go. He, he basically, I was his last hope. I go, you may have growth hormone deficiency. And uh, he had growth hormone deficiency. We tested him and got a growth hormone. His immune system basically improved. Um, and this is way before peptides, but FYI, his CD4 came back up and yeah. he did really, really well. I've... Um, if growth hormone does a lot of miracle things, but it doesn't fix everything. Like they looked at ALS, they thought ALS and growth hormone, they did a big study that failed there. So ALS is much more complicated. than just. I think it's a much more, yeah, it's more complicated than one thing. Okay, well, let's move on to our next topic, which is actually the opposite of growth, right? Is cellular senescence. Right. Okay. So, so these cells that these zombie cells that, you know, are getting a very bad rap these days, 
in some cases for good reason. Um, definitely, I think that we're, I don't know that the, the final word has been written on cellular senescence. I mean, there's definitely a need to have some of them around, but having an excess and having a buildup is, is a negative. Um, so from an anti-aging perspective or longevity perspective, there's a lot of talk about these senolytics and different senolytic compounds that can help people to clear um, excess senescent cells. And so one of the big ones is rapamycin, but of course, one of the downsides of rapamycin is it kind of shuts, you know, it's, it's not great for your immune system. Um, like it, it'll suppress your immune system to a point, but people are taking a very small dose once a week. I think that for the most part, that's a manageable risk, but there's this really interesting peptide that we talk about called FOXO4, um, which is supposed to be a senolytic peptide. So we were talking again a little bit before the podcast and we thought, you know, maybe we would talk about this or what your favorite senolytics are in this world. All right. So uh, let me start off with a study that uh, it's not published yet, but I'll kind of show you some prelim data on it. Although I still haven't seen the epigenetics officially, all of it, but I've been told that it looks great. So we did, we had 21 people in our study. We did a six month study, which is not easy. I don't think I'll ever want to do this large study. <laughs> we had blood work going out the wazoo here, there, and everywhere. Uh, so we basically uh, got baseline blood work three months and six months, and uh, we put them on dacetinib, 50 milligrams, three days in a row with 500 milligrams of quercetin, which is the, base, the best data that on humans on um, being a senolytic agent. FOXO4 is great. The FOXO4 DRI is great in animal studies, but there's not one report on humans, so we don't know if it really works. So we just... And we have no clue if you were saying there's no real idea of dosages or. Yeah, uh, the dosage in the animals, they did five milligrams per kilogram. And so you would use, if you're like 70 kilograms of 300, um, that's 350 milligrams, which is huge because one vial would be 10 milligrams. Yeah. But isn't there a conversion? From, vials. <laughs> isn't there a, a conversion rate? And for I don't. One treatment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And at the price. Dose. Yeah, no kidding. So you're you're talking literally a hundred thousands. Yeah, like crazy money. So FYI, we don't know the dose. But let's go back to this study. So what was the first compound? Des then what did you say? D A T I N I B. Dacetinib. Okay. So dacetinib is a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. It's uh, used for a certain blood cancer, uh, chronic, uh, CML, chronic myeloid leukemia, and uh, quercetin is all natural. It's basically the pigment of elderberries, onions, and other fruits and vegetables. Yeah. By itself, uh, quercetin does not do anything on reducing senescence or killing um, um, zombie cells. And, same thing with uh, dacetinib by itself. It doesn't harm normal cells or basically damage or cause any reduction in uh, senescent cells. But in combination, they're like, um, it's, it's like peanut butter and chocolate. You know, you have a wonderful- Oh, that's even better than uh, peanut butter and jelly. 
your eyes as a I'm down. I'm down for peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> so um, in combination, you actually, there are studies done at Mayo Clinic and uh, many other places where they show small studies to basically reduce senescence and help people with very bad conditions like deep pathopoid fibrosis. And uh, you know they they showed that in healthy people that they improved uh, endurance and people who were like couch potatoes and their blood pressure came down. So they've done safety studies and just small numbers and it looks great. So I did this little study just to basically say, hey, can we show that we reduce uh, senescence? And there is no universal marker, but we found one. It's called Active in A. It's not commercially available. It's for research only. So, you know, it's A-C-T-I-V-I-N-A, active in A. Maybe one day it'll be commercially available. Very difficult to do because you need a freezer at negative 80 degrees. Uh, you got to oh, wow. store yeah. it. And uh, it, you need to put like 10 pounds of dry ice and ship it the next day. So your shipping bill will be over $150. Yeah, it's a big deal. So much ice, dry ice. And then everyone's like waiting like, what time is it shipped? When is it going to be there? Because it's like it's like you know getting a heart transplant. As soon as they get it, they they store it, and then eventually they, they run it. So, um, and it's it's best not to just do one at a time. It's best to send the whole shebang. So I have sixty six specimens sent out there. So to label it was a headache, and so anyway. So the bottom line is that we were able to show that we reduced senescence by reducing active in A. Active in A is elevated in senescence. But if you lower it, you're basically showing that the senolytic therapy helps. Wow. What's interesting is my level was 0.54. At three months, it went down to like 0.52. And at six months, it went down to 0.4. Wow. So in general, everyone went down. Now, there are three people that stopped during the study one was diagnosed with aggressive prostate cancer, but he really wanted to be in the study. I go, sorry, can't be in the study. Uh, but he came back at the six months to draw his blood and just for baseline. Just to uh, see, yeah. And then I had two people that basically had more like an anxiety attack. They just don't want to be on it. So they, 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 they did the three months and then after three months they stopped. So we have like kind of like a control group. Um, and then, um, so we three people dropped. So, um, the, the people that, so there were 21, so you have down to 18. All 18 basically showed a reduction except for two. Two of them had very low active in A levels. They're in there. To begin with. Yes. So their active in A levels were like 0.25. They were really low. And it didn't touch them. They were just still the same. So it didn't affect it at all. So it just like remained stable. So that's 0.2. If you have high active levels, it'll, it'll bring it down. But they were both in the mid 50s. They take hormones, they take a lot of supplements, they do yoga, they do stress reduction. Um, they felt good. They had no orthopedic issue, no osteoarthritis. They're, they just normal life. They you know, have part of stress from their um, spouse. But other than that, mm-hmm. nothing really major, no major crisis in their life. But um, but it, it's hard to say likely, like to say, okay, everyone over 60 should do this because I think, I think generally that's what happens is 
we have accumulation of these zombie cells or senescent cells in the brain and it leads to dementia, or Alzheimer's, MS, Parkinson's, neurodegenerative disease. And for my patients, not in the study, but they have neurodegenerative disease, they, I have very few of them. And I aggressively use senolytic therapy with other modalities. They say that was the turning point where they started getting better. Really? Yes. Interesting. So, so the other thing in the dacetinib quercetin studies, the epigenetics. And so it's really the methylation or the garbage on your DNA. Yeah. And in, there's all these different epigenetic clocks, like the Horvath clock, the Grimm clock, and then yep. Ryan has a clock and all that. And there's the Dunedin one in, in New Zealand, which yep. is a really interesting thing. This is what I heard through Ryan. I haven't seen the data. We were supposed to sit down together where, you know, you went to Orlando, the biohacking meeting there. Uh, we went to a restaurant that had poor Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> We were waiting, waiting, waiting. We, we just had drinks and we were waiting. It took forever. Oh, no. That's we a nightmare. Uh, let's get to see all the data. Okay. But he says, trust me, everything improved. Really? Even yes. on the, so on the biological age, that we would have seen improvement the there as well. Improved and your telomeres improved. As so well. What I did was, um, so I finished in July. I took three months off, or three, four months off, and I just retested my epigenetic. I didn't do the activate A because it's such a headache to ship it there. But I wanted to know is after stopping for three or four months, do I still sustain the benefit? Right. Or did I go back to baseline? So actually, you know, uh, last night I restarted my dacetinib quercetin. Uh, so I'll do it for another six months and retest for myself. I asked my wife to retest, but she's so sick and tired of being the guinea pig. <laughs> oh, his tests aren't that bad. Come on. It's not. It, what is it? It's, yeah, she, she doesn't have good veins. It's hard to draw her. So she's, she's not. Anyway, she's been a, my guinea pig for like 25 years. So. <laughs> okay. Oh, so yes. basically, so the, the denacetib and quercetin, it's, that's the one that's five milligrams one day 50, a month. 50 milligrams. 50 milligrams. Yeah, it comes in a hundred, but a lot there, you don't know what people are taking, like if they're on a PPI inhibitor, it can affect. So I just basically have you dose 50 milligrams because you could be basically on anything. And then with quercetin, it'd be fine. Uh, so the, number one, not everyone had this. I didn't have this. I would say 85% never had this, but mild headache, it could be in men and women. So I'd say take it at nighttime. Yeah. This is a mild headache. Most people tolerate it. It's nothing bad. They only, some people get said, like, you know, day two, day three, they had it, but they go, they sucked it up and nothing bad. <laughs> and it's just three, and it's only three days. Yeah, three days so in a row. So it's a really yeah. important point. It's like November 1st, 2nd, 3rd. Yeah. December 1st, 2nd, 3rd. January 1st, 2nd, 3rd. When I say three days, people, like, even my staff goes, like, three Mondays. <laughs> no, 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 no. Three okay. days in a row. So. Yeah. So it could be almost like a die off reaction, right? The, the headaches, yeah. like some kind of a Herx reaction. 
Okay, so we have now passed the one hour mark and you said that you want it to be done in an hour. So I think for our last topic of the day, what we should talk about is this cause that is near and dear to your heart right now. And frankly, it should be near and dear to every one of our hearts. All of us who are listening to this podcast, you know, recognize the power of of peptides and, you know, the fact that there's some pretty significant pressure coming on from, I guess it's the FDA, um, in terms of limiting people's access to bio, to peptides through compounding pharmacies. And so do you have any thoughts as to why that is? Because people keep asking me as if I should know. And I'm like, well, I'm not even American. <laughs> I really have no idea how the FDA works. I could think of things I might, I'm, I can come up with theories, but you being in this system, do you have any thoughts on this? Yes, let me share a screen so people can see uh, what this petition looks like. So this is the petition right here. If you go to um, clinicalpeptidesociety.com or uh, savepeptides.org, you'll see this petition. It takes 10 seconds to fill out your first name, last name, email, and your street address. This petition will go to your uh, representative and two senators. And um, we're trying to at least hit 1,000 and then eventually up to 10,000. But it's um, everyone, you know, if you have friends in the U.S. or um, please, please sign this petition. I've had people sign this petition from different parts of Africa and the Philippines around the world anyway. But um, anyway, the more people sign it, that'd be great. So um, the reason why Thymosin Alpha 1 is in trouble is that uh, there was a compound pharmacy, I don't know who, uh, boasted that COVID and uh, thymosin alpha-1 can basically treat COVID. And the FDA is very sensitive about uh, the treatment of COVID. So they basically decided to say, look, we're going to take this away. So um, all the compound pharmacies that I know um, have basically got the letter from the FDA to basically stop and and, uh, they cannot sell thymosin alpha-1. The, the ones that basically, um, there's only one compound pharmacy left and the days are numbered. It's uh, Brooksville in the US, uh, Brooksville Compounding Pharmacy. And uh, they have a feeling that they're gonna get the letter too. Mm-hmm. So th- it's unfortunate because thymosin alpha one has been a lifesaver. So there are a lot of people who, who write a little note uh, in this petition. Um, and you can just say that, you know, um, this one person, Katie, said the peptide ther- therapy really helped in her autoimmune disease. And this uh, Barbara H. said something nice, healing our bodies in a safe manner is a God-given right to choose the path. Government should not be in the business of taking away such safe avenues for healing. We need to be able to make these decisions for ourselves. So um, there's beautiful comments. If you just, you know, just scroll through that, you'll see a lot of people angry at the government for doing this. And it's really unfortunate because we're losing our rights uh, to choose our own medical path. And Mm -hmm. there is a war that they've always wanted to take away biomedical hormones away and they take peptides away. There's really nothing different than, you know, I could do and they'll take away stem cells too. So it's, I'm back to conventional medicine and I would rather basically uh, teach, uh, you know, mathematics or calculus or do something different because, you know, medicine, I, I couldn't go back to conventional medicine. Yeah. It's to me, it's like, I'm, it's I'm pretty disheartening. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Um, anyway, we need everyone's help. And uh, the thing is that um, there's a donation there too, if, if you want to donate. And uh, so we, we really need more signatures first. And if you have a testimonial, um, a written uh, or even a one minute video testimonial, please uh, send it to my office. Uh, you can Google DrEdwinLee.com or just it's at info at DrEdwinLee.com and just uh, send your testimonial and that'd be great because I think our Congress people needs to listen to some videos. Keep it short, your name, your first name, last name, and say you give permission to use this video and tell your story. Keep it yeah. short. Yeah. How it's not for one made a big difference because we really need, when it's gone, it's so hard. It really, I mean, at least we got this, we got the ball rolling, but it, it, this ball is rolling really slow. But isn't thymosin one, um, isn't it also a drug? Like, a, isn't it produced as a drug by a pharmaceutical company? Yes, it is. Uh, Zandaxin is the trade name, but it's not available in the U.S. Oh, it's not. Is it just in Europe? Uh, maybe in Canada and also in Europe, but uh, it's not, they don't manufacture in the U.S. Okay. Interesting. Because I always thought it was because of the, because of the drug company, but there goes that theory. See, just goes to tell you, show you, don't ask me why 50A is taking these things away. I don't know. You know, it's because um, of the COVID issue and the, and the treatment of COVID. That's why it took it away. So. And anyway, not to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I mean, I've actually seen a clinical trial that I think it was in China where there's they- five, five clinical trials. There's five clinical trials that actually showed it had a, efficacy. Significant improvement, significant improvement, especially in the ICU, but- um, I, th I think it's five, it could be four, but uh, four or five clinical trials published in PubMed, um, randomized, double, you know, so it, it was a, a perfect trial. Uh, so there's wonderful data with that too, but uh, it's, uh, it's a modality that uh, the FDA should take a look at for, you know, for treatment. And it has been FDA orphaned a uh, long time ago because children born without thymus gland, they're basically very, very sick and they used it and it basically saved their lives. So it has been used in the U.S. as an orphan, FDA orphan drug. Uh, but the company, I mean, no one really pushed it to get the NDA new drug application and to get the, to get it as a drug in the U.S. So right. it's, it's kind of like there, but has the best data that's out there. And if we lose this, this is a tragedy because... It's just like, I think people just expected me to save everything and write all the research paper, but I, I, I'm, I can't do it. I need everyone's yeah. help. Yeah. And I appreciate you spreading the word and helping us out. Thank you. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, we'll put it out to the group and we'll see, we'll see if we yeah. can get you up to that 10,000 yeah. mark. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and have your friends and family all do it. And, and uh, so that, that's, that's great. I have all my, even my kids sign it too. Uh, one's 18. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. Okay. So where can people find you, Dr. Lee? If, uh, if they want to get in touch with you, do you also, do you practice um, telemedicine at all, or do you need people to come in and see you? So they have I to be willing they, to I prefer they come in to see me, but I do like today, I did see a woman that's from New York, uh, Long Island, and we did it over the phone, but uh, uh, I'm honestly totally swamped. Uh, I, I, I'll bet. I, We'll put you on a waiting list, but it may be six months before I can see you. Yeah. Um, so I, it's just, you could be on the list, but you can just Google me um, and uh, say Dr. Edwin Lee 
and I'm in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. And then always, of course, people can also order your book either off Kindle or. uh, Yeah, they want a book from my office. Uh, Basically, it's normally retail at 39. But uh, if you listen to this, just say, hey, listen to the webinar, give it for $20. So tax and shipping. But I only do in the continental. But not Canada. I know. I know. Not Canada. (laughs) Okay. But, right. uh, my staff doesn't want to go to the post office and stay in line. It, it's too much paperwork. So, All right. Sorry. Okay. I don't know we, why. I mean, it's just a book. It's not like it's just a paperback book, but it's a great little book. So, guys, I encourage you. Uh, this is a great little book to have on hand if you have any interest in peptides. And definitely go check out um, Dr. Lee's website and sign that petition because. If you're listening to this podcast, you have an inkling of how important peptides are, you know, can't are, and will continue to be as we learn more to optimizing health, repairing damage, the whole nine yards, and to lose them before they even get a chance to lift off the ground would be really sad. It really is. is. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lee, for taking the time today. I really appreciate it and for sharing all of this amazing information and, um, Who knows? Maybe we'll do a part two someday. Maybe. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.